0: This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Well, please open in your Bibles to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you are new to the Bible, um, the book of Matthew is actually the first book in what's known as the New Testament. These are the books that are written after Jesus came. Uh, And so Matthew is a book written by a man named Matthew. It's all about the life of Jesus Christ. And we've been in a series here in Matthew uh, where we're looking particularly at what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, I'm not sure what some of your embarrassing stories might be. Um, I'm not going to ask anyone for any of their embarrassing stories right now and further your embarrassment, but uh, but I have quite the catalog. I have quite the catalog of things that have put me in slightly awkward situations. There was a time when I wasn't paying attention and I, by accident, walked into a woman's restroom. I realized my mistake immediately when I walked in and saw potpourri on the sink. There's never been a guy's restroom in existence that ever had potpourri on a sink, but uh, but it was there, and so it, it wouldn't have been a big deal because no one was there, so no problem. So I turned around to come back out, and, and, and it w- thought I could get away with it, but then I saw someone I know coming in. Now, again, not necessarily a big deal, but where I was was in the staff area of the Philly Stadium. I was there in my function as the team chaplain for the Phillies. And uh, the person I saw coming in was one of their vice presidents. She, she, she knows who I, who I am as being the team chaplain, but she didn't know me that well. But after she saw me coming out of the woman's bathroom, we had a conversation, and she got to know me better. Um, it was an embarrassing moment. Another embarrassing story was my first day of work right out of college. You know, if you remember your first day of work, I, I had to wear, you know, a suit, and so I went out and bought my first suit. You know, it's a big adult moment, right? I walk in with my satchel, uh, you know, my new, my new you know Oxford shoes, and I just thought I was I thought I was on point. I thought I looked great. And as I walk in, so many people are looking at me kind of odd. And I'm like, well, they're probably just so jealous that someone so young can look so put together. But then about a couple hours into the day, I get into the bathroom, and I see that actually my shirt I had misbuttoned. And so I take my third button and put that in the top hole, and everything was misaligned, and I honestly looked like a complete idiot. I tell you that story to say this. Today we're going to see Jesus talking about something that we need to have in order. A top button that we need to make sure we button first, if you will. Something that we need to to have first so that everything else in our lives goes in alignment. If you've ever felt off, if you've ever felt stressed or anxious, overwhelmed, some kind of inner turmoil, let's be honest, who here hasn't? Jesus has something very important to say to us today in this text about what needs to be in our lives in order for our lives to be aligned and us to be well with our souls. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. This is the inspired, infallible, and authoritative Word of God through what the Holy Spirit inspired through His servant Matthew. God speaks to us and says, in the words of Jesus, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Our glory be to Christ. What Jesus says needs to be first in our lives. What we are to seek first is the kingdom of God. We saw in our opening ser- sermon in this series last week how God's kingdom is not a geopolitical entity nor does it exist in a specific location. God's kingdom is the spiritual reality of God's people living in God's presence under God's rule. And we saw how the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Jesus came, and since He is both fully God and fully man, He was able to be God's perfect person and to die on the cross for our sins so that we could now be washed clean and come to dwell in God's presence. And Jesus calls us, every single one of us, to come and follow him, to live according to his ways. He came to bring God's good, loving, kind, soul-satisfying, redemptive rule. And so Jesus is himself embodied the kingdom of God. And we enter into the kingdom of God when we believe by faith in who Jesus is and live our lives as followers, what the Bible calls disciples, as disciples of him now Jesus, what he's saying here is that having faith in him and living fully for him it is not meant to be just something that we do in a long list of everything else. He says we are to seek God's kingdom first. By seeking it first it doesn't mean that you seek this and then you move on to a bunch of other things. No, he's going to go on to talk in Matthew chapter 13 about how the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price that a man sold everything he had so that he could have it. The kingdom of God is not only to be first in our life. What Jesus is saying here is that it is meant to be everything in our life. By being first, it is meant to then inform and shape everything else that comes after it. God's kingdom is like the sun that everything in our life is meant to orbit around and be informed by. And so God doesn't want us just to go to work, but to know how to go about our work as kingdom people. God doesn't want us to just have relationships but to know how to have kingdom-shaped relationships. He doesn't want us just to go to church, but to know how to engage in the life and mission of the church with a kingdom mindset. Jesus wants his kingdom to be a prevailing, overarching passion that informs everything about our lives. That's why I'm telling this morning's sermon, Kingdom Passion. What does it mean and what does it look like to have a kingdom passion? To help us understand that, I want us to consider two things that Jesus addresses in these verses that we read. First, we're going to see why our passions matter. Why our passions matter. Second, we're going to see how to cultivate passions for what matters most. So why do our passions matter? Why even have this conversation? And then second, how to cultivate passions for what matters most. First, why our passions matter. Our culture has no problem talking about passions. In fact, the idea of living passionately is very much a celebrated value. The New York Times had an article entitled, Live Passionately, in which the author wrote, to live every day passionately is the greatest gift you can give yourself and to others. It is po- yes, it is possible to live every day fully. It is possible to extract juice from every single moment. One can indeed have a lifelong romance with life. Our culture loves to celebrate passion as long as no one tries to tell you what to be passionate about. See, what matters is not what your passion is. What matters is just that you have a passion about something. What Jesus is saying here is that, no, what we we are passionate about, it supremely matters. It makes a tremendous difference. To help us see why he, he links this passion, idea of seeking his kingdom first, with a negative of anxiety. Did you see that? He talks in verses 25 to 32 all about being anxious. And then he ends by saying, So seek my kingdom first. What is the relationship there? Well, he brings up in verse 25 three categories: categories of eating and drinking and wearing. Now these are all pretty basic necessities. Right? In a hierarchy of needs, try to go with water for a day, with for a day. Like, like you're gonna feel a need for your water water pretty soon. Try to live without clothes. It will not go well with you in this world. Drinking, eating, and being clothed are all basic necessities in life. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying don't worry about that because they don't matter. What he's saying is, if you pursue them, then you aren't pursuing what truly matters. You might get food and drink and clothes. But what he's showing us here is that you still won't feel satisfied in life because our souls were not made to be satisfied by food and drink and clothes, or really anything of this world. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that when we pursue the things of this world, we will never feel like we have enough. And this is why we worry. We'll just keep worrying about needing to have more or losing what we already have. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that our feelings of unease in life can often be showing us that what we're living for is an unsatisfying purpose in life. J- Jesus is showing us that our feelings of anxiety can often come from a sense that we don't have enough, which is showing us that what we're living for is not enough. Do You follow me? We're having disordered desires. As our culture says, pursue your desires, be passionate for them, no matter what they might be. And we're told to be compassionate for people, no matter what their desires might be. But what Jesus is saying is that, no, what your desires are actually really, really matter. Jesus is saying that in order to live life fully and truly satisfied as he wants us to do, our, our, our desires need to be in their proper order because our desires direct our lives. Right? Proverbs talks about how our life is lived out of the overflow of our hearts. What we want is what we do. And so Jesus is saying, be very, very careful here about what you want. Our desires direct our lives, and not all desires are created equal. And so if someone is more passionate about their work than their family, they will destroy their family, because they will neglect their family for their greater passion. If someone's more passionate about money than justice and equity, they will exploit people. You follow? Our desires direct our lives, but not all desires are created equal. The order in which we desire things matter. And so it's not that we should love our jobs less, but it's that if you have a family, you better make sure that you love them more. Again, it's like when you put a, a, a button-down shirt on, if you don't get that first button right, everything else will be off. That's what Jesus is saying here, is that when we don't seek him first, everything else in our life is going to be off our life will be out of alignment. Pursuing anything in this world as if it is what your soul ultimately needs will never be enough. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, said that, this is a paraphrase, but basically anything we live for besides God can never satisfy us because it is too shallow, not yet, it is too shallow, and you can take that down, it was too shallow, (laughs) and we were made to be satisfied by eternal things It's too shallow we we're made to be satisfied by eternal things and it is too fragile right you can't ultimately be satisfied by something that you can lose. Everything in this world can't satisfy us because it's it's too shallow and it's too fragile And so I think about you know my life and one of my greatest joys is my family. I'm so blessed by my family I love my wife I love my kids I love my parents I love my siblings. I even love my in-laws. Um, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I've been blessed by God to be surrounded by some fantastic people. But if I'm fortunate enough to live a long life, all my long life will result in is the opportunity to see most of them die before me. Right? I love my family. But if, what, if they are what I'm ultimately most passionate about, then what an intolerable and unsatisfying life that will be. Because they will all be lost over time. It's the reality of this mortal world that we live in. This is why Buddhism would say, actually, don't give your heart to anything. Just detach from the world. You can't suffer if you never give your heart away. What Christianity says is, no, give your heart away. Love deeply. Just make sure to love God supremely. Because if God is your greatest love, if you're seeking Him first, then even when you experience the gut-wrenching pain Of the tragic loss of someone you care about or something that you deeply care about. As deep as the pain of life can't be, you can't lose what is ultimate to you if God is who is ultimate to you. I have a pastor friend who got throat cancer, can't preach anymore. He lost something that he deeply loves, but he didn't lose the one that he supremely loves. And so, even though he grieves not being able to preach, he is still content and satisfied in life because he hasn't lost what matters most to him. And so, as Augustine wrote, now you can put this up. As Augustine wrote, only love for the eternal and immutable will bring our soul tranquility. Only what will last forever, what is eternal, who is eternal? And only what will never change, what can never be lost, what is immutable, only love for the immutable and the uh, eternal will truly lead us to the satisfaction, the tranquility, the peace, the wellness of soul that we so deeply crave. And Jesus is speaking to us here about seeking his kingdom first because God loves us too much to let us live for things that won't satisfy us. He loves us too much for that. And so Jesus says, be passionate about me. Be most passionate about my kingdom because God's kingdom lasts forever and his kingdom can never be lost. God has made us for himself and we will only be at peace. We will only feel settled and content and full and well when he is the center of our lives and nothing else. As the late counselor, Dr. David Powelson said, only God can be pursued wholeheartedly without worry or anxiety. Pursue anything else wholeheartedly and you're pursuing what could eventually lead to your complete discouragement, despondency of life. Because everything in this world can be lost. Your career could be over. Your most loved person could be taken. And so, if we are pursuing the things of this world, anything in this world, as if they are ultimate to us, we will always be worried will always be anxious. Only God can be pursued wholeheartedly because God can never be lost. He's the only one who can be pursued wholeheartedly without worry or anxiety. Our passions matter because being passionate about God is the only way to truly live a satisfied life. A few weeks ago, I was doing a week-long intensive, the place where I'm getting my further theological studies, and I had a preaching class with someone that I deeply respect. Actually, I picked my seminary purposefully because I wanted to study preaching under this man. And so I had the opportunity to preach in front of him, uh, and then to get some feedback on the sermon. And to be honest, I was actually very nervous. I felt a lot of anxiety, which was weird, because to be honest with you, I don't really get nervous about speaking in front of people anymore. Uh, It'd kind of make my life really hard if I did, you know. I've been speaking regularly in front of groups of people really since my sophomore year of college, uh, and so I've been preaching in various contexts for 15 years, Uh, I was trying to count up. I'm well, I think, a little bit over 600 sermons at this point. Like, I've done this a bit. And and if you do anything for a bit, like, you don't get nervous about it anymore, you know? Uh, But I was nervous. I was nervous. Why? Do you ever ask yourself and your feelings questions when you're feeling something? Next time you are feeling anxious, ask yourself why. Pay attention to what your feelings might be telling you. Our anxieties reveal what we are really caring about. And so I was anxious because I was caring about this person's good opinion. I wanted to impress him. I was anxious because I was seeking his good opinion first and not the kingdom of God. And so my anxieties exposed what I was really passionate about in that moment. And so I had to repent and ask for God's help to realign my passions. The only way I was able to be free to preach God's word, as I've been called to do, is by actually not caring about his opinion, but caring about God's. And so what do your worries, think about things you've been worried about, just even this week. What do your worries reveal about what's most important to you? What do they reveal what you care about and what you think brings you meaning in life? God wants us to live passionately for him, because he loves us, and loves what's best for us. And so he doesn't want to see us crippled by anxiety, but instead thriving in life. And that can only come as we're fully satisfied in him. Living passionately for God is really about the good of our souls. And it's about the glory of his name. Like, we honor God. We show how great and valuable and worthy he is, not by our church attendance, but by being passionate for Him, of which church attendance should certainly be a part. (laughs) But the point is that God doesn't just want us to go through certain motions. He wants us to have our hearts fully engaged in Him. If I say to you, you know, there's a sandwich shop and you can go ahead and get some food there and it'll provide you sustenance. You don't know anything about whether that sandwich shop is actually really any good or not. You know it's true. You know it's real. You know it exists. But my dispassionate way of talking about it says nothing. What that sandwich shop is really like. But if I passionately share with you about how I've found a sandwich shop like no other, a sandwich shop that I moved my family so that we could be close to it, and that actually save my money and and so that I can I think through my whole my whole family's budget in light of how what can I use to promote the name of the sandwich shop and to eat as many sandwiches as I possibly can, right? That's like first in my finances. And if you found out that I actually volunteer my time to work in the sandwich shop and that I just have to tell everyone I meet about how amazing the sandwich shop is, um, you probably think I'm crazy. I would hope so. Um, But you'd also probably be pretty intrigued about that sandwich shop, wouldn't you? Like, man, that sandwich shop must be pretty good. Friends, God wants us to live passionately for him because he wants other people to know through us that he's pretty good. He he, he wants to show off the greatness and glory of who he is through us living passionately for his name. You see, when our lives look just like the life of everyone else, we spend money the same way, when we go on vacations the same way, when we pursue our careers the same way, when we uh, don't have relationships with our neighbors the same way that, you know, like when all these things that we, we just, if our lives look like our neighbors, then what are we really passionate about and how we showing off the glory of God, right? God is glorified when it's like, man, he is so great that my life is completely different because of him. And so as we talk about our passions, yes, this is for the good of our soul, but it's not only for the good of our soul. That's just a a me-centered message. This is not about how you have a God-shaped you know hole in your heart that only he can fill. Like, yes, that's part of it. Our passions need to be for God because only he can satisfy us, but we need to complete that thought. It's when we are satisfied in God that we glorify him. And so ultimately, God's created us with a God-shaped hole in our hearts so we can only be satisfied by Him. Not so that we can just be these people who are complete and whole because of Him, but so that we can give glory to Him. And so that our passions might show off the greatness and majesty and magnificence of this God that we have given our whole hearts to. So I think at this point, the question becomes, how can we cultivate this passion? What does this actually look like? How do we cultivate passion for God's kingdom for the good of our souls and the glory of his name. Well, a few things as we look at point number two. How can we cultivate passion for what matters most? You know, we live in a world that's constantly telling us we can be satisfied by things other than God. Constantly. Makes me think of a scene of a classic novel, The Silver Chair. It's part of the Chronicle of Narnia series uh, written by C.S. Lewis. Um, it's a long story, but there are these children who are sent to Narnia to find a lost prince. And their journeys take them deep into the underworld where they meet a witch. And this witch tries to cast a spell on them and convince them that the underworld is the only world. She wants them to forget about the real world they were made for and instead live for the underworld with her. The children are taken captive by her spell. They they, they begin to forget the true world. Their lives begin to be shaped, if you will, by everyone else who's living in the underworld. Until their companion, Pologon, who's a great companion. You've got to read the book just to read about him. He's fantastic. But he, he, he takes his hand, and he sticks it in the witch's fire. And that action breaks the spell. See, this world wants to cast a spell on us, that this is all that there is, that there is no other kingdom. There is nothing else to live for. But I think actually we can be like polyglom and there are some things that we can do to help us remember what is really real. I think this passage gives us four things that I'm going to go through very quickly. First, how do we seek God? How do we cultivate passion? We seek God personally. We seek God personally. Here's what you need to understand. No one else can seek God's kingdom for you. You have to do it yourself. I think about the words of Joshua when he was leading the people of Israel into the promised land. They were fearful of the enemies in front of them, and they were doubting the power of God to provide for them. And what does Joshua say? He says, I don't know about any of you all, as we say here in South Philly, any of you guys, Best for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. Following Jesus, seeking him as a personal choice that each one of us has to make. Youth, listen to me for a minute. Your parents can't make this choice for you. They might want you to be baptized. They might want you to be part of the church. They might be putting, you know, but the reality is they can't make this, they can't make this choice for you. The parenting seminar. Let me set everyone's expectations. We're not going to tell you how to make your kids Christians. You can't. That's not your job. It's a decision they have to make for themselves. If you're married, you need to understand your your spouse can't do this for you. Their relationship with God is their relationship with God. And it hopefully has an effect on you that's positive and encouraging. But you need to seek God for yourself. Someone told me once recently, not someone in this church, but um, they said, man, I just want to spend time around you because being with you just helps me stay you know, so focused on Jesus. Just a little bit of you splashes off on me. And I'm like, hey, praise God I'm having a good influence, but let me be very clear, my faith can't be your faith. You need to seek God for yourself because, one, I'm going to disappoint you. If you think I'm great, you just don't know me that well. Second... God's so much better, and he, you can have him all with you all the time. We need to seek God for ourselves, and if we're not doing that, if we're just kind of drifting along in life, going with the flow, let's be very clear, we, we always flow away from God's kingdom. We don't flow into God's kingdom. Because what comes natural to our sinful hearts, what comes natural to the ways of this world, what comes naturally through the temptation Satan wants to take us in, so our flesh, our world, our enemy. Those things are all having us on an inner tube in a lazy river. I love that ride. You don't have to do anything. You sit there and relax. But you know what happens when you don't do anything? You just go with the way the current is going. There's strong currents that always want to take us away from God. If you want to follow God, then you need to make a personal decision to get out of the inner tube. You say, I'm going against the tide. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, I should expect to feel things constantly pulling against me. But where the lazy river is going is no good. And so I don't know about anyone else and what they're all doing. And I don't actually care if everyone else thinks I'm crazy. I'm pursuing Jesus because he is my life. We're to seek God personally by making the decision and commitment to seek him each and every day. I think about Psalm 27, verse 8, where God speaking to the psalmist says, you have said, seek my face. I'm sorry, speaking to God. So God said, you have said, seek my face. And what does the psalmist do? My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. We're to seek God personally. Second, we're to seek God communally. Jesus is speaking here, not to one disciple, but to his disciples. Because he knows that in order to seek him, we need other people to help us keep our focus on him. Listen, they can't seek God for us, but they can help us seek God. You follow me? They can't do it for you, but you also can't do it without them at the same time. I was recently reading a book that was talking about some of the biggest issues causing the decay of faith in Jesus that we're seeing here in America. You might not be aware of this, but America is the only country in the world where there are less Christians year after year. Christianity is exploding in Africa. It's exploding in Latin America. And like we keep sending missionaries there and that's good, but my gosh, I'm praying for them to send missionaries to us because we need a lot more of what the world's got than us sending people to the world. I'm just saying, we're in trouble. It's not a good situation. One of the biggest issues causing the decay of faith in Jesus that we're seeing here in America is, has been identified as people are thinking about their faith in individual terms. And you know what? An antelope by itself is called by the lion lunch. People think they can have their own private relationship with Jesus, right? We're encouraged in some circles to, you know, you, you need to you need to ask Jesus into your heart and make a personal decision to follow him. Yes, we need to seek God personally, absolutely. But Let's be very clear, we can't, can't seek God individually because we have our own individual relationship with God, when we are separated from the people of God, oh, that's who Satan loves to take out. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10 tells us, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. It is yet another, that has not another to lift him up. It's very practical. When I was struggling with wanting to impress my f- professor, you know what I did? I brought it to some guys that know me well and said, hey, this is what's going on in my heart. I need your help. I didn't just repent on my own because I'm not good at that. I'm so grateful that I've men in my life that I can just be open and honest and vulnerable about these things. And they were able to encourage me and challenge me to live for what truly matters, which was not that guy's good opinion, but the kingdom of God. Like, we need to have deep and meaningful relationships with each other. Relationships that can only be formed Spending time consistently with one another. I think a lot of times people come to the church and they just expect to like, have microwave relationships. It doesn't work that way. Like what good food's ever cooked in the microwave? I don't know much about cooking, but I do know that like, that's not what you do. right? How do you make a really good rib? You put it in the slow cooker for a while. right? Relationships take time. They take consistency. Like showing up here once every few weeks isn't going to do much for you. Not being in a community group and you know that we do to help people get connected to relationships, it's just not going to do much for you. You can listen to sermons online, you can listen to music online, do it all yourself. Right? We come together regularly and consistently. Why? Because we need one another in order to follow Jesus in deep and meaningful lasting ways. We are to seek God personally. We're to seek God communally. Third, we are to seek God continually. There's no graduates from the school of seeking God's kingdom first. Someone's like, oh, I got that one, I'm good. What's your next lesson, lesson, Christ? Like, no, this is a continual thing that we need to learn each and every day. The Benedictine monasteries of medieval Europe, a new convert would be given a simple outfit that they would wear visually to show off their new spiritual journey. But their street clothes, the clothes they came in with, they were not taken from them they're actually hung up in that person's closet so that every morning that person had to wake up and make a decision. Would they make a decision to continue on their new spiritual journey or would they put on their old clothes and go on their old ways? In a very similar and real way, when God in his mercy wakes us up every morning and gives us another day where he lets us breathe his air, we need to make a fresh determination to seek God and not chase sin. We need to cultivate a passion for God's kingdom, not by having it sometimes be important to us, but continually choosing to put God's agenda first. There's so many wonderful examples in this church of people I respect so much who do that. I think about the Newmans who purposely plan their vacations around missing as few Sundays as possible because they know that being committed to being present is part of how we pursue God's kingdom together. I think about the Nussbaum's who were about to move out of the city but stayed because they got connected to this church and they just wanted to be part of how God's kingdom was advancing through us. I think about the Catos and how Joe left behind a really thriving political career in in D.C. and instead began to work all kinds of really weird and odd jobs up here in Philly. Eventually, he got to church. That's not the odd job I'm talking about. It's all the stuff he did before that. We're a great place to work. But before he came on staff here, he did like I don't even know what he did. It was like these like you know different different things. He was kind of stringing it together. But he did that because he wanted to be part of the start of this church and God's kingdom purposes here. And listen, I'm not just talking about people who reoriented their lives to be part of this church. I have a friend who wanted to come and be part of this church and decide actually that putting God's kingdom first meant that he couldn't come with us. Because he and his wife were in the middle of fostering a little girl. They felt that for them, as they prayed about the God's kingdom agenda for them was to adopt her. And so moving across state lines they were in New Jersey to come here would have derailed that process. And so they chose not to come and help us start things because they were seeking God's kingdom first which meant them staying there. But the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus wants us to seek his kingdom first in every decision that we make. Listen, we can go through life just doing our own thing, or we can continually come to God and say, God, would you show me what you want? Would you lead me and guide me? Seeking God's kingdom first should be what our bank accounts show every single month. Seeking God's kingdom should determine how we pursue our careers. Seeking God's kingdom should inform how we interact with our neighbors and where we choose to live and how often we take vacation and be absent from where we live. I love how Abraham Kuyper says it, a Dutch theologian in the 19th century. He says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine every decision, everything of our life, Jesus says, that's my decision. Are you going to listen to me? Or are you just going to do you? So the question is, if Jesus is saying mine over every part of our lives, are there any part of your life where you're saying no mine? We are to seek God's kingdom personally, communally, continually. Because just because I said yes to Jesus today, that mean I'm going to wake up and want to do it tomorrow we him personally, communally, continually. And then finally, we are to seek God Christologically. And that's a bigger word than I would generally use here on a Sunday morning, but I had to get them all fit, you know, so personally. Commun- Someone appreciates that somewhere, um, just for myself. But, but basically, when I say Christologically, what I mean is that, that we need to seek God with an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And ultimately, we need to seek God understanding that he's the God who's come and sought us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that his mission statement in life was this. I love it. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The reason that God came down to earth, that Jesus became Emmanuel, which means God with us. The reason that God came to be with us is because we were lost without Him. We were lost in our sin. Lost in our little Kingdoms of self-rule. Hopeless, helpless, aimless. God loved us too much to wait to get our act together. And so he came seeking us. He came from heaven down to earth, not to condemn us, but because he wanted to seek us and to save us. And so he left his throne on high, not to just give us another way to live. He left his throne on high to take our place on the cross and to give his life for our life of sin. He came to seek us and to save us. If you're here today or listening to this at a later time online, you need to know that if you do not yet know Jesus, the reason that I fully believe in all my heart that God has you listening to this is because he is seeking you right now in this moment. I don't know what brought you to here, but I know who brought you to here. God in his mercy is seeking you because you are lost without him and he loves you too much to let you continue to be lost. He is seeking you. Will you let yourself be found? Would you come and bend your knee to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my king. Will you stop living in your kingdom of self where you do just whatever feels right by you? How's that working out for you? Would you come to him? And say, Lord, Your way, not my way. I bring my life to you. God is seeking you because he loves you. And here's the good news. For those of us who, who have put our faith in Jesus, those of us who do want to live with Jesus as our king and to do our best to seek his kingdom first, here's the good news. God's more committed to seek us than we are to seek him. And so you know what that means? That means when we mess up, I shared purposely this morning about ways that I mess up, ways that I was not following God's kingdom first. The reason I made it through that moment is not just because I have great friends and it's because God's kind to me. He put those people around my life to seek me and save save me. Friends, every single day of our life is a day where Jesus is still seeking and saving us. As we sang earlier today, you know, the story is, our our sins, there are many. The good news of Christ is his mercy is more. And if we're going to seek God, the way that we can be empowered and strengthened to seek God is not by just trying harder, okay, I'm going to really do it today. No, the way that our hearts can be set aflame to seek Christ, how do you set anything aflame? You get close to a fire. And so the way that we can be empowered to seek Christ is by meditating and filling our souls regularly and repeatedly with the joy that our God is the God who came to seek and save us. There's a man named George Mueller who started a bunch of orphanages in, uh, in England. It was said that the English social system would have collapsed without the work of George Mueller because of how he just was so transformative in that country for caring for lost uh, children. Um, He sought God's kingdom first in really incredible ways. But you know his secret for doing that? George Mueller said that he made his goal every single day to not leave his room until his soul had been made happy in Christ. He would read scripture and he would pray and he wouldn't move on to the next thing until he had been freshly amazed by the love of God that sought him in Jesus. So here's how you apply this message, friends, ultimately. You don't just try harder to seek God personally and communally and continually. You need to do that. I need to do that. But, But the first three points are all empowered by the last point. Get close to the flame of Christ. Realize that you serve a God who is seeking you far more than you could ever seek Him, and so when you fail to put God's kingdom first, He is your hope of forgiveness. He's your hope of restoration, and He's going to make sure that you make it through this world and home to Him. And when you're running well, when you are seeking Him first, guess what? He gets all the glory because our commitment to Him is only possible because of His 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 resting grace that is in us and the strength that He provides. And so, friends, let's apply this this sermon, and this text by living passionately to seek the king first and his kingdom first. May there be no doubt in anyone's lives who knows us what our lives are about. May people know our passion for the kingdom of God. And may that come because we are staying close to Christ. We are seeking God because we are made happy in our souls and the God who has so sought us in Jesus. Friends, let's be passionate for God together. For the good of our souls and the glory of his name. Let's do this by staying close to Jesus. Let's seek him. There's no greater passion that could ever be experienced than for us living for the one who gave everything to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer.